Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Micah. And hi, Steph. Hi, Micah. We are having a whole party today, and I am the least in the know about it, and I'm very excited to watch you guys nerd out over this special edition that you two came up with. What the heck are we talking about, Olivia? It's the weekly typographic and Micah is clueless. I love it. This is a <laughs> this is a fun rendition. No, I'm kidding. Micah's not clueless. We're having a great time. This week we have a very special episode and it's just in honor of the books on type and design that we are enjoying right now. Like we're about it. So it's called Books for the Brain, books that we're learning from. And so we kind of have a little bit of variety, but we think that these are just awesome books that we have stumbled upon in the recent months. Some of them are a little bit older than like the past year or two. Some of them are super recent, and we just want to make sure they got some airtime because we think they're awesome for people that are trying to learn about type and design or enjoy type and design. So Steph, what kind of categories of books are we talking about? Yep. So we've got three main categories that we're talking about, five different books today. And you can find the links to all of those books in the newsletter, which is in your inbox waiting for you to click into. So the three categories we're talking about, the first three books we're going to talk about are more the how-to books and they get gradually more technical and how-to as we go through them. Then we've got a book which is more around the some information or a certain type of style of typography, a bit of history and a bit of information in there. And then the last book is Pure Inspiration and Joy and Delight, which we're going to be talking about that one, which is very exciting. I think we're ready to kick it off. Let's do it. Heck yeah. All right. Well, our first book comes from Friend of the Leagues, and that is Dan Cedarholm, lovely Dan, mm-hmm. who joined us for a workshop last year. He is just such an awesome dude, but also a very talented type designer. And he created this book called 20 Bits I Learned About Making Fonts. He created it after he started making fonts in 2020, once the pandemic hit. So it's a very recent book. And it's awesome. It's super digestible. A bunch of quick tips for beginners. Literally, he can take you from level zero to level one with this book. And I think it's just like really appreciated. I think stuff you said earlier just felt like a really nice hug from someone that's trying to teach you type design, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And last year I did a much more serious type design education program. And when I got this book partway through that course, I just felt so much better about myself because he opens with this idea that there are no font police. And that was everything I needed to know when I felt like there definitely were some very strict font police. So I think the Simple Bits book or the the book by Dan Cedarholm is a really nice one to get started. And one of the things I really like that it doesn't necessarily start from calligraphy and, and sort of traditional handwriting. He really looks at specimens that he found that ship's whistle is a really great example of that that on this boat i think in massachusetts he was in and he saw that sort of says ship's whistle is loud or something like that and he was like oh that's a really beautiful interesting monoline kind of font so he took that as his sort of specimen i suppose and then started to build the rest of the letters and the characters out of that and i just think if you're getting started and particularly he comes at it from a very much a designer wanting to learn how to design type and create type rather than here is the history of type design and all of the things you must do this way and this is right and this is wrong. For me, that is exactly the type of learning that I can get into. Absolutely. I have to 100% back that 
I remember when we did the workshop and I saw this version of the book, like I had the exact same, I need this gentle, encouraging perspective. And it was exactly like where we started with the league a million years ago, too. It's like, we're not type designers. We don't like all this gatekeeping. And mm -hmm. so I guess we're just going to make some stuff and start calling those fonts. And to have this beautifully drawn book, beautifully written, because it's just such a nice, friendly beginner language. I like that you picked this one to start. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. It's a beautifully designed book as well. Yeah. And even if you've got, I've only got the PDF copy because shipping to Australia is a million dollars. So I have the, <laughs> right. the PDF version and it's just such a joy to look at as well at the way he's actually designed it and put it together. I mean, the thing that I feel like differentiates this a lot as well as it being so beginner friendly and like you're learning from someone that's also somewhat of a beginner, more intermediate now, is that first of all, there's diagrams of part of the glyphs interface that actually shows you mm. where you could input the name of your kerning group. So it's not like you have to just like read a bunch of text. Like there's really great diagrams that make everything seem, oh, okay, I can do this. I can, you know, make kerning groups. I can understand what side bearings are. Whereas when I first opened up glyphs back in 2016, like I had to look on like the glyphs instruction manual online and that wasn't super user-friendly. I think that you get glyphs mini even in this book and feel like you can start designing a typeface. That's what I really love about it. And again, the unique perspective I love the beginner tips of starting a font with all caps. You don't need to do a lowercase. That's like pretty novel. Most type design instruction books are going to kind of walk you through the whole shebang. And then also adding alternates as most beginning type designers might be too scared to do that. But he says, hey, you should like you're designing a font. Have some fun with it. Here's how to like add some personality to it. And I just love that he's not afraid to get into some of those things that may not feel very traditional, but definitely unique to his techniques. Nice. What a nice, warm way to start. Yeah. Well done, Dan. We love you. Love it. <laughs> next up, Steph, what do we got next? So we've got the Ono Type Co book or zine. I think it's, if you have it printed, it's kind of like a zine kind of fold out type thing. Again, I've got the PDF because again, shipping, very problematic. So this is there, some tips on making type. And again, it's quite a joy to read. I said to when I was when we were talking about this before we started recording, I said that Dan's like the you kind of your dad giving you a hug and getting you back on the bike and getting you to make a font. James is like the kind of weird uncle <laughs> kind of telling you how to make a font, but telling some weird jokes in there as well. I like the particularly you know, quite a childish sense of humor. I did enjoy that the capital B, he talks about the bit between the two curves as being the butt crack of the B and how to make sure that is got to you've got enough butt crack in there and stuff like that so yeah expect lots of kind of butt jokes and stuff like that as you're going through this one this one's probably a bit more detailed and then it goes through character by character and what I really liked about this one is that because oh no have got such a catalogue of such quirky interesting fonts that it shows letters and characters and glyphs from all the different or not all of the different but lots of their different typefaces in what a a or a B or a C or a D, et cetera, can look like. And they're all wildly different, but you can see those rules really being true and consistent no matter how wild your typeface is. And then also just give some really handy tips on balance and shape and lines and what to look for and what to what traps to not fall into. 
Yeah, I have to say one of my notes was literally that like I was so excited to see just a capital letter A in so many of his typefaces. And so like the rule he gives with the capital letter A is that the negative space should be optically equal on top and bottom of the crossbar on your capital letter A. And then he shows all his crazy fonts and it like all is true. Just shows how he has really mastered letter forms in a way that is unique to him and allows him to really build these funky stuff because you got to know the rules to break the rules. I Mm -hmm. also loved his introductory text. So this book opposed to Dan's book is very much diagrams. You're looking at a lot of diagrams. It actually originated from a bunch of Instagram posts that James posted, I think a year or so ago. I remember when they were talking about this actually becoming a book a year or so ago when we discovered it and so excited about that. Okay, I have like a few quotes that I just really, really enjoyed from this book. There are only like three and then- I like the way that I chose the butt crack quote and you're probably going to pull out some really sensible stuff. <laughs> oh, I love the butt crack situation too. <laughs> All right, we're going to clip that and that's going to be a little like vox pop on its own, I think. Yes. Saying that. yes. Well, one of the quotes is, it is only through having fun that we can successfully pick ourselves off the ground and recover from all the inevitable failures a student of type design is bound to experience. Wow. I love that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I think he says in that, I think that he goes on to say in that it should only really be the last kind of 10 to 15% that is mind-numbingly painful. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than the kind of 80 to 85 to 90% beforehand. And again, that's something I, I did really appreciate about that one too. Right. I mean, he also says just along those lines, separate the act of judging from the act of creating. These are pretty simple concepts. When you're in the thick of it, you are just trying to perfect and perfect and perfect. Sometimes you can get out of the mindset that this is supposed to be enjoyable because you're so in the minutia. And then my last quote that I liked is a surefire path to despair is to evaluate your work against the work of your colleagues. Mm. I think when we interviewed James, we really came out of that interview knowing that whatever he does, he has fun and he makes it his own. And those two are is like how he's built his business, which is really exciting. And I think this book speaks to those. And comparing this to Dan's book, in my mind, I wrote this down. If if these two books were camera lenses, Dan's book is a little bit more of a wide angle lens and James is a little bit more of a zoom lens because you're looking at stuff pretty mm. closely. Both are so easy to read and fun to read. And I have to say like that overlap is like really beautiful knowing that they are also both pretty beloved in the design and type design community. I'm actually really interested in this one. I don't know if you caught this right at the footnotes, almost in the acknowledgements or credits right at the back page. It says that this was actually funded by someone. So I don't know how that's actually worked from a, because I know that obviously the book's being sold, but not, and I mean, it's pretty accessible, the price point, certainly, especially for the PDF. So I want, it's interesting to know how that worked actually, because I think then someone else designed it and someone else did the copy for it and stuff as well. So it looks like it was actually quite a collaborative project, the whole zine. Yeah, it says it was Martin Grasser funded the project and Karina Hun designed the book. And finally, I'm just zooming in, Tanya Raposo edited all the content. So certainly a labor of love. I like that. Also worth mentioning, I thought I was a little confused at first, but they give you a version of one of their fonts that they used to design the book. When you get the book, it's almost like the book doesn't cost money. You get the book if you buy the font. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was kind of neat. That's a neat way to do it. Yeah, I thought that was really nice, especially as it's Degular as well, which is a pretty usable. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's- Only in one weight, though. You don't get the full family. You just get the, yeah. I think it's the regular right, right, right. weight. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is, I think that's which plenty is good. fair. Yeah, that's great. That's, yeah, yeah, definitely. If anything, honestly, as I was checking out, I was like, well, shoot, I don't want it just for the desktop. So I'll like throw in a, a web version too, in case I want to use it on a website, which is pretty wise. 
Nice. Okay, it worked. Another excellent product coming out of Ono Type Co. I don't think there's any surprises yeah. there. No, no, we're a fan. Should we get into the next one? In our, this, so this is the last one of our group of three how-to type books and using, Olivia, your camera lens. This one's then almost like your macro lens, I think, Ooh. in terms of zooming in a little bit more and getting a little bit into the closer details. So this one's by Sophie Bayer, who I know when I did the type design course I did last year, several people who were on the course as well had said they'd seen Sophie talk and she was fantastic. So I want to check out some more of the things she does and things she talks about. I think she can has usually a strong point of view. So this book is called Type Tricks. It's pretty cute and small. It's kind of, you could put it, if you're not a woman, you could put it in your pockets because obviously the patriarchy <laughs> doesn't give us pockets. So it's certainly not big enough for type books anyway. So this one is again, really handy because it goes through each of the phases of making a typeface but also goes into each of the, the characters, so similar to the previous two books. The thing that is a bit different or deeper about this book is it goes into the punctuation, diacritics, numbers, all of those types of things as well, which aren't really covered at all, almost, I don't think at all, actually, in the Ono or in the Simple Bits or Dan Cedar Homebook. The thing I found particularly useful about this one was it actually even covers things like overlapping paths. So actually how to, and the direction to draw things, particularly it talks, I think it references glyphs maybe, but it certainly I was, I was using Robofont and it was, you know, exactly the same idea, just maybe the buttons are different or whatever. Uh, it talks about vectors as well and how to kind of create your Bezier curves and some of those things. And then goes into some of the specifics between, you know, sort of a slab serif or an old style or some of the different styles you might be looking at and grotesques and humanistics and stuff like that too. Wow. So much more in depth also talks about some of the similar stuff to previous around, you know, making sure your balance is right, the optical adjustments you might need to make in various characters, etc. Yeah, this really like rounds out, I feel like the info books when you say that they're talking about classifications, that's something that, you know, Dan's book or James' book doesn't really do and doesn't really seem to fit into their books anyhow. So it's nice to have, okay, here's like a little bit of history and especially instruction on creating Bezier's and vectors and overlapping certain points and changing the direction of some of your vectors. That's some very specific type design knowledge. And like you said, that's like some macro level knowledge. And I love that you compared it to that because it certainly feels like that. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that this one does a little bit more is talks about reusing elements. So again, slightly that more technical build of mm. a typeface or your characters. And, you know, you can actually, she shows the various points. You could actually grab those points, use that in the next, you know, in another character, et cetera, as well. When to vote, when to rotate versus flip, you know, all of those types of things as well. Yeah. I really enjoyed one thing in um, James's book was actually the BDPQ relationship is a holy union. And I feel like you should start all type design classes with that statement because it shows so much about how much it's like component based is a lot of type design. Yeah. So that's awesome. She goes into that. The other thing that I would just add finally is that this one does go slightly more into things like italics, different weights and stuff as well, which is just that extra bit further. And again, there's, you know, maybe sort of five or six pages on each of those. It's not, you know, a whole other book or a you know, huge chapter, but enough to kind of get you started in thinking about what are the principles or the rules if you are doing something that's slanted, doing something that's a bit bolder or something as well. 
What would you say? Is the book like lots of blocks of text or is it really a lot of diagrams or a mix of both? No, it's really, really lots of diagrams. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little chapter opening for each of the sections that's got maybe a page. And these are small. That's probably it's a bit shorter and fatter than A5 kind of size in terms of the actual size. And then there's probably like four lines of text on each of them. And then that's the rest is, is diagrams or comparisons and things like that with the exception of the chapter openers that's got maybe yeah, a small page of, of text, but in fairly large point size. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to pick up a copy of that for myself because it sounds very helpful. Yeah. And it's a good just reference one as well to have on your bookshelf and also to lend out or to, you know, to take with you when you're doing something. It's, yeah, it's pretty mobile. Very good. Should we move into our next section of top reads, books yeah. of the brain? Yeah. This is also a stuff highlight. Yeah, so actually this is a birthday present from a good friend of mine. Thanks, Leanne, for funding my book uh, habits. So, <laughs> so this one, it's called Arcade Game Typography, and it's by Toshi Omagari. And it is called, the sort of subtitle of it is The Art of Pixel Type, which is very exciting. And you kind of think, when I got it, and I'd seen it before, and it is a really beautiful, interesting-looking book, and I thought, you know, it's probably almost an inch thick, so... I had no idea there was so much pixel type or so much difference to different (laughs) pixel types as well. You kind of think, oh, it's all like that 8-bit kind of Pong and old school arcade game looking. But actually, when you go through the book, and this one's very much an illustrated book, you know, it talks a bit about history and the the different types of mono 8 by 8 monospace type and how these get used in games and... There's four words and things by, I believe it, they are a game designer, but it might be completely wrong. The There's then and the different types and there's a bit of analysis on the different options or the different types of type used in different games and actually goes into different games and says, this one uses this and here's what works and here's what doesn't. And it was really interesting kind of reading through a couple of them when they say actually the uppercase A, for example, there's only maybe like one little pixel, which is the counter at the top of the the A. So it's not very legible because you're kind of, there isn't a lot of white space or what would be white space in that character and same with some of the others. So it was kind of cool to see, oh, actually you can draw letters in different ways, even in the very limited constraint of pixels. And then Mm. actually it's split into different sections around so you've got one here around like where there's horizontal stress, there's different, there's, there's sans serif bold, sans serif regulars. So there's a lot more variety in here than I think you are, or certainly I, realized. Yeah, I remember a year or so ago, Micah, we talked about this project on the podcast and I don't even remember that much of what the article said, but I remember the visuals and I remember being like, wait, there are this many like pixel fonts? <laughs> Who created these? Like, why don't we know about the people that created them? Why don't I ever see these really highlighted anywhere else except this book dedicated to it? But I remember looking at those pages being like, oh, I could stare at this all day. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because every time this book comes up, I sort of remember that this was my introduction to loving typography when I was a kid. That's amazing. I was making MySpace pages and learning HTML. And I remember having MS Paint and trying to make letters out of the tiny pixels because that was like trendy in the early 90s, this style online, at least. And I was like, oh, I could do that, too. And I started drawing out of pixels. (laughs) And I remember playing with my Sega Game Gear when I was a kid and being like, oh, the typography in this one in this, like in the Batman game is so much cooler than in like NBA Jam, you know? Wow, I love that. 
I'm sure they mentioned this in the book, but besides just the pure aesthetics of pixel fonts, it teaches you a lot about type skeletons of letter forms, right? How much can you take away while still having a legible letter form at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. And when you mention like a capital A or whatever, having one pixel that defines it as the capital A, it really makes you realize how much we take for granted these days and how much like things really had to be configured back then. And it's really interesting as well, seeing what some of them or how some games use things like color and almost where they added, I guess it's almost like a shadow down the right hand side or even the left hand side in some cases to make things either more legible or more unique or more specific to that game. And also there's even a couple of stencil versions as well of of some type that was used in in pixel fonts, which uh, have more of a stencil look, which again is quite interesting from a in when you've got that limitation of the bits. Man, I'm telling you, the limitations make you more creative. Micah's favorite motto. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly is. Well, I'm very excited. So that was our information book that's a bit more history, a bit more inspiration. Olivia, you've got our grand finale, our headline act of the uh, <laughs> the type books in this conversation. I do. Which and I'm very it, jealous about. It's hilarious. You were saying like Sophie's book, you could fit it in like a pocket of some dude's jeans. <laughs> this book I'm about to talk to you about is literally 13 inches wide when it's closed. So it's, it spans 26 inches when you start opening to spreads. Hilarious. <laughs> you need a rucksack for this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have to like support it by two hands being like, don't fall apart. So the book that we're talking about is Spike. It is the huge monograph that was made this year for Spike Lee. It is a visual record of Spike Lee's life and career with stills and on-set photographs, a lot of them taken by his brother, David Lee. But we are here to talk about Trey Seal's contribution to this book. So Trey, we've interviewed him. We're big fans. He's friends with the league. This is such a crazy story. This is like almost a story that doesn't seem real. He created five custom fonts for this single book. I don't know about you guys. I've never heard in the history of contemporary type design being like, get ready to design five fonts to be solely used for this book and inspired by the person this book is about. I mean, yes, it's not a design book, but it can teach us so much about design. And it's like, just you're just going to like love looking at it. And were all of those, because I know you you caught up with Trey recently, were all of those full character sets, uppercase, lowercase, that he needed to create like all five of those? Or were some of them more limited because you only needed enough for a title page or something like that? I cannot confirm, but knowing Trey, they were probably full fonts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he actually just released one of them, VTC Spike Headline or Display. So that one's certainly a full font. I'm not totally sure if, if all the fonts have full diacritics. I'm sure they do. He's like very diligent. I can tell you all the fonts. So there's a font that is only on the spine, <laughs> and that one is Spike Display. And then there's Spike Text in Spike italic and that's the text that's actually used on the inside and i know that it's based off of the font he did um based off of web du bois's typography from his data portraits so that looks somewhat familiar but still uh for this book it's still like modified to be custom for this book and then there is spike tag which is like a graffiti inspired sans serif these crazy swashes that just like literally spike out, no pun intended, spike out from the letter forms. <laughs> and the way that Spike Lee visually communicates his text is like every word is capitalized. So it actually works so well having these swashes come off from every single word. And from what I heard, Trey had to design three different swash alternates for each letter so that when you did the letting, nothing would crash into each other. So it's crazy that he was designing the book and designing the type. And they're really just like one cohesive thing. 
And then there's also Spike Headline, which is the title pages for the books. And so these title pages are just absurd. They're like, again, they're 26 inches <laughs> long. It's maybe eight words max on a spread. They're just all the titles of his films. And then in between the words are these like black bars that perfectly align to the height of the letter forms, which are very blocky. And that's to be reminiscent of film strips. Very cool. Yeah, nice. The book design in general, Trey, I believe, was commissioned to create these fonts. And then all of a sudden he designed the book. Like it was literally like, oh, we'll have you do this. I was about to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have you do this. Oh, wouldn't it be cool? And then he literally just designed the book. And the book is just so thoughtfully done. There's the use of color in it. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. It totally absorbs you in. And then what I love is that because most of the book is actually photographs, most of the book has photographs on a black background. So it like creates a very cinematic experience. Like it feels like you're in the movie theater. Just Mm. every little freaking thing was considered. And I just... (laughs) I love that it's not a design book. Like, it doesn't feel indulgent. It feels like everything was crafted for this sole purpose. I don't think I've really seen a monograph or a book, like, about someone that considered the type so much. And I think this is certainly great for everything because I think it's going to make people realize that, you know, if you create a whole cohesive type system, that you can make something really special and feel just, like, so distinct. Oh, my gosh. Guys. It's great. And what a way to sum up a career and a career that's obviously still ongoing as well. It's certainly not stopped, but what a way to sum it up and actually have enough that there's such a complete look and feel and personality behind someone like Spike Lee that you can incorporate those elements into a typeface or into five typefaces, not even just exactly. one, but into five, <laughs> into a multitude of typefaces. That's amazing. Yeah. And they're inspired by like a myriad of things. A couple of them are inspired by literal jewelry that is like worn in Spike Lee's films. I think one of the typefaces is based off of the Knicks jersey and Spike Lee is very famous for going to Knicks games and being a Knicks fan. So it's like, oh my God, one day can someone make me a book and design five fonts based on my personality? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be crazy. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. We're already on it. It's crazy. We're already making it. We started two years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's your birthday present ruin now. You're, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I mean, just in general, this is just setting a whole new standard for book design and clearly just like shows off Trey's talents and thought process in such a beautiful way and... You know, now he's friends with Spike Lee. So type designers, you can all make it big. (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. that's the grand finale. Maybe we don't know this, but it'd be an interesting question for Trey and how, and or Spike, but probably particularly Trey, around how the typography that was used in Spike Lee's films influence, because I'm sure, well, I don't know, but there, there might be, or must be a look of the trailer, the credits, the trailers, etc., the, the actual film titles and stuff. I know movie posters for the films also inspired some of these typefaces as well and the look and feel of them. So yeah, I don't know the exact nitty gritty details, but what a dream project is to just like absorb yourself yeah. in a different art form and conjure something totally original from someone that's so iconic. It must have been a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, I believe it probably was. <laughs> You're not envy. It's probably the anxiety that was like, Lee's got to approve this. <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Even that as a brief for yourself, like for people practicing or thinking about stuff, like think about someone who's got such a strong look and a really obvious cliche one, be that someone like a Wes Anderson or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you make a typeface for Wes Anderson? Yeah, that kind of thing. Just thinking about that as a pretend brief for yourself if you're thinking about yeah whether it's a poster or a typeface or whatever is a cool way of doing things yeah 
That was my first typeface, as Micah might know or remember potentially. It was, so it's called Vreeland, and my first typeface was based off of the really old editor-in-chief from Vogue and Harper's Bazaar in the 30s or 40s. I might be wrong. 50s, 60s? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in that 40-year span. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't have, like, a specimen I actually wanted to create with my typeface. I wanted to, like, embody the spirit of someone. And I th- feel like taking, like, the spirit of someone and embodying them in letter forms is actually, like, a really fun creative challenge and can lead to some pretty creative and unique stuff that you won't feel like you're copycatting someone, even if you're, like, remixing whatever sort of forms to create this person's typeface. But... Yeah, Steph, you're totally right. I wonder how much overlap there is between just thinking, because, you know, as you know, I love a good question. So it always makes me think about what questions would you ask to actually get to the soul and the kind of source and the center of that? And actually, mm-hmm. how different is that compared to, say, a branding project? So that's kind of what this is, really. So mm-hmm. how would that be different to branding an organization or a startup or whatever, or probably more an organization that's been around for 40, 50 years or whatever? So thinking about how you would approach it in a similar way, but also what's different when it's, especially when it's an individual rather than an organization. Oh, that's a good question. Thinking on that one. (laughs) So much good stuff. So do we want to do a quick rundown of the books we talked about in case someone was like, oh, what was that second one? Yes. Okay. (laughs) First book was 20 Bits. I learned about making fonts by the wonderful Dan Cedarholm. Second book is Ono Type School by Onotype Co. by James Edmondson, one of those two. Third book was Type Tricks by Sophie Bayer. Nice. The fourth book was Arcade Game Typography by Toshi Omagari. And the fifth book is Spike by Spike Lee. Yeah. <laughs> it's not by Trey, <laughs> but like kind I'm of by Trey. By Trey. <laughs> right. Designed by Trey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, people might not always know this, but Steph runs her own book podcast. This is why she's so good at talking about, you know, the essence of books. And it's a very (laughs) enjoyable podcast. So I'm just making sure people know if they want to hear Steph. Thanks. How would people find that podcast, Steph? (laughs) Well, they would go to their favorite podcast player, maybe the one they're listening to this in right now, and type in Steph's business bookshelf. So talk about nonfiction books. Yeah. And the three big ideas from them. Micah, which of these books do you find most exciting and most interesting? Well, honestly, I had never seen the type tricks before. And, you know, I'm kind of on a mission this year for us to start assembling tips and tricks for people to learn from. And so that's the only one on this list that I have never heard of before you brought it up. So Mm. I'm most intrigued about that one. Very good. And then maybe one year we'll actually, we'll save our pennies and buy the, uh, the Chris Sowersby Klim type book. <laughs> oh yes. One letter form the mammoth, a page. The mammoth. The mammoth. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Great picks, everybody. Amazing job. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do.